Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm Sam Corbel, your host, and today we are sitting in Aspen, Colorado. Shout out to Paragon Technologies, a local integrator in the valley who gave us a beautiful $1 million home theater to record this podcast in. Today, I'm sitting with three residential lighting designers. Ann Kustner, president of AKLD Lighting Design, Lana Nathy, principal of Light Insight Design Studio, and Greg Mackle, founding principal of 186 Lighting Design. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Welcome to Aspen. How's everything going? Going great. great. Thanks, Sam. You guys having fun? I know we got a couple days of skiing in. There's actually 14 fresh inches of snow sitting behind us right now, so we're going to get this done and go get some powder turns in. Who's excited? Me. Going to be a great day. <laughs> it should be a great day, but, you know, I figure we should talk lighting just a little bit. The three of you are from, Anne's from Chicago, Greg's from Denver, and Lana's from Boston. We've all kind of come together today to talk a little bit more about residential lighting design something that plays definitely in that high-end world and then for folks like us well you know we turn the lights on and off in our house and we can't quite put million dollar packages in there but you guys have had the opportunity to do heck probably over a thousand projects combined and there's so much that's unique to residential lighting design before we dive into what's unique different and fun about resi let's tell everybody who you are who are you and how'd you get your start in lighting and go for it. Well, I got my start in lighting through photography. I was a graphic designer in my first life and realized the power of light and changed my field and, and went back and started in lighting. How about you, Greg? Well, I'm Greg Mackle, and I was just going through college and met Dave Delora, who a lot of people in the lighting world know, and he was a life-changing guy and took every class I could from him. And he just put a passion into us that was something that I think so many people in the lighting world have. And that's how I fell into it. What about you, Lana? You showed me a picture the other day of your moment in light. Tell us about that. <laughs> First of all, I was trained in interior design and no one was really tackling lighting. And so I got an apprentice in Germany and gave me opportunities to travel to amazing projects. And I made it to Mar Marrakesh and saw this moment. It was the moment I chose light. It was non-electric. It was daylight, a slot of light coming from the uh, sun. And... Uh, illuminated the whole entire hallway without anything it was oh. like it was a single beam of light and it came down from the heavens above and it mm -hmm. literally just boom it was it, magic it, it was magic it was piercing this hallway so somebody decided to uh, walk into a college there greg and then ann and lana you had these amazing visual experiences that really inspired you to say hey you know what is light and how can we shape things with it how can we make something unique happen with it that's cool isn't it I mean, when you think about everything that you've had the opportunity and the ability to accomplish as professionals and have a whole profession around shaping light, you yet chose a, a niche that maybe not so many people in this industry choose, which is the residential side of things. What's your favorite thing about what you all do, residential lighting design? I'd say that compared to commercial lighting, where when I used to do big commercial projects and we might see a big space that 
has no furniture in it. We might not even know what the program is for that space. So, for instance, if you're working on a stadium, and it's very difficult for me to really visualize how the lighting is going to work in a space if I don't know what I'm lighting. But in a residential project, we have furniture plans. We have maybe a 3D model showing all the different finishes. We may even get something from an art consultant that shows the exact piece of art, exactly where it's hanging, how high it is, the size it is, whether it's reflective or not reflective. And it just is something that I can look at a set of two-dimensional plans and close my eyes and I'm in the space. And I can do that with the information we typically get from architects and interior designers in the residential world, where in commercial, it's a lot more just guessing, or they may, you know, it may be something that's gonna have a tenant finish happen in it in the future. So I really love the detail and the information and the relationships that you get with residential lighting. And it's a very different world <laughs> than commercial lighting. We dabble in that a little bit, but really my passion is the residential side of lighting. And you're nodding your head. What else do you oh, have to I, say I about totally that? agree. And I think too, because the client or the design team is really passionate about the project. And so you are able to, like embellish it you are able to elevate the entire design with lighting and as an architect said recently i now use lighting as a design tool so it's really nice because i think we're in a neat time in history of lighting is that people are now understanding the power of light and how you can paint with light so it's it's a powerful design tool although with the new technology it allows us to do things we could never do before, but it's also a challenge because all of the complexities and now dimming is such a big hiccup that, you know, we have to really, it's a challenge. Each project is new mm -hmm. and fresh. There's not a lot of duplication. And it's, What do you mean? I want my house to look exactly like yours. It's awesome. <laughs> So, I, I mean, it's it's always new, it's fresh. Each client wants something different. Mm -hmm. And it's it's nice to make the lighting seamless in a space. And as Greg said, the details, the amount of details that it's just like God is in the details. What about you, Lana? What's your favorite part about residential lighting? It's personal. It gets You really get to tailor the space to the owner and what they're, they're creating an heirloom and they have to learn the language of light. And so that's a process. And I enjoy educating mm -hmm. with tools that we have. You said it gets personal. That's my next question. Lighting is, is a personal experience. There's no doubt about it. We all open our eyes every day. We all see a certain way. Everybody's got great vision, vision problems. They put their glasses on. They, I mean, you know, kind of choose to see things the way you want to see them in life. But light is a big part of that. It's really personal when it's in your house because it's your house, right? We're talking about one of the most personal experiences and the most personal place that every individual experiences in life. The CEO doesn't maybe necessarily care about the lighting in his office, but when he comes home, he wants his house to look the way he wants it to look or, or she wants it to look. Talk oh. to me a little bit more about how this profession you're in gets personal fast it's a lot more about getting it right than it is about hitting a time frame or a budget which is really what commercial lighting is more geared toward 
but the same person who may run a company or own a building and when we're working on their house they have very different goals that it's not necessarily about they care about budget they care about time frame but those might not be the top two things that you're shooting for they may have a piece of art they really want illuminated perfectly or a great home theater that creates an amazing experience with light i've got to take one quick step back i need you guys to help everybody understand who are we talking about what kind of homes are we talking about here i mean scale yeah let's let's talk <laughs> let's talk scale and what residential lighting design is getting into here for a second because greg i like what you're saying but you know i'd love a million dollars worth of lighting in my house but i can't afford that either i mean you guys get to work on some amazing amazing projects well, name, name drop no i'm just kidding i what what i feel like we do is kind of like if you look at indy 500 race cars that the technologies that are developed there end up working their way into the everyday car that people drive and i feel like we are designing the architectural equivalent of that where we come up with you know cool details and we're able to use the budgets that we have with the clients that we work for to create amazing spaces and then those end up in magazines and it's something that we can show to the world that way where you know it may create a new inspiration uh, you know yeah some kind of inspiration some sort of new design style or effect that you know every once in a while we make stuff up and sometimes it sometimes it turns out well <laughs> we get happy mistakes it's like oh yeah. wow that was amazing i yeah we plan that and sometimes it is intentional <laughs> lana you said you said the word inspiration greg talked about a little bit you know you all are your pioneering inspiration talk to me a little bit more about that what inspires me is using my vision right so no matter where i am it's constantly, I'm always looking at everything, where what's good, what's bad, what moves me in my heart. And I also ask the words for my clients, like I want their language and what, how they connect to it, what works, what doesn't work. But I want them to feel like they're part of the decision making too. Not always do we get to meet our clients though, that is the challenge. So we have to really rely on asking the right questions. We don't have all the answers. So if we don't ask the right question, then we're done. <laughs> It'll show up when the lights turn on. And <laughs> Give me an example of when you didn't get a chance to ask the right questions and, and what happened. Well, they changed the material. We were going to graze some stone, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's drywall. Well, the drywall guy didn't get the memo, and <laughs> it's a little bumpy. All, all the tape lines show up. Yeah, yeah. The so nail. That's yeah. not a happy moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just the one quick one off the top. No, of that, I mean, to your point, simple things can change, and if you're not in the loop or you don't know, the, an intent can, can go awry fast. When something like that happens and it's on a commercial project, people walk by and they go sit at their desk. Uh, when it's the when it's the wall in their bathroom, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, if we're hired too late, it's hard to actually correct some of those things, and without making a mess. And it's missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, if we would have known, if we would have been brought in earlier, mm. we could have done this really cool detail. So, and I think too, it's communication and education. So it's kind of, you know, now to your point, Lana, it's always like, okay, if you change a finish, let us know. If you change a color, let us know. If mm -hmm. there's a difference in sheen, whether it's shiny or honed, 
we need to know because these things happen and all of a sudden you're like, huh, (laughs) nobody told us. And sometimes you can save, you know, the client if it's like, oh, I thought it was really dark finishes and then they've changed them and you're like, okay, well, we've got more light in here than we we needed. And we were talking about this the other day that it's really easy to critique somebody else's lighting design, but you have no idea the Mm. things that went into what happened and what kind of challenges were above the ceiling. Maybe there were budget issues and you had to use something that was not the best thing for the job, but the thing that worked with the budget for what you were trying to do. And there are so many things that go into it, but ultimately, if we put the composition together that we're trying to create in a space, it's gonna be a lot better with the lighting designer than it would have been with uh, without us. You mentioned it's easy to critique a lighting design from the standpoint of, yeah, light looks good in the space, light looks bad in the space. I think inherently, one of Greg's former classmates, Gary Trott, told me, you know, nobody knows good lighting, everybody knows bad lighting. Mm. Like, when there's bad lighting in a space, anybody in the world can walk in and be like, ugh, this lighting sucks. But when the lighting's good, people don't go, wow, this is really good lighting. They just, like, enjoy the space for what it is, right? It's like the ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> Anonymous. <laughs> it, it, totally, right? What's crazy is there are so many things that go into residential construction in terms of coordinating. I mean, HVAC ducts are one thing. Six-inch ceilings are another. Share with, share with me and, and everybody that's listening a little bit more about the crazy stuff that goes into these homes that are being built. And by the way, you guys don't have a choice. You have to deal with it. The one that comes to mind, we had a three-inch thick Boswafon ceiling the client was really into acoustics and did not want any noises so it's finding a fixture that will be able to fit in there and adjust and be mudded in and look seamless as if it was a drywall ceiling but you're dealing with this thickness and the angles so types of new materials or different materials that we have to deal with i think and building conditions are something that you don't see in commercial. Yeah, and you get one chance to get it right or it becomes really expensive. So you want to make sure when they're getting ready to order all of the lights and you're recessing lights in a ceiling. So one of the big challenges is staying up with ceiling conditions that may change throughout the course of a project where a wood ceiling may be value engineered out of one space or it might be added to another space or you may end up with you know, plaster ceilings that are are incredibly thick or acoustical materials. So we have so many decisions that go into specifying a recess light. It could be the depth that's an issue. It could be the width of the fixture. Could be how it works with the framing, the ceiling condition. It might want to be square or round or trimless or bronze and lensed or unlensed. And there are. Yeah, uh, of which, it, by it, the way, like those options are just readily available on every single product in the marketplace. It, it has Not, gotten. No, never. <laughs> it's gotten infinitely, infinitely more complicated in the last few years. I mean, we have so many options now, but just specifying a downlight used to be pick a housing, pick a trim, and you had your choice of three or four trim, you know, black, white, or silver or something. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I had one manufacturer who gave me a list of different SKUs for their downlights. It was like 96 pages single spaced. That's incredible. With the different types of options you have for just one kind of downlight. So it's a, 
an incredibly difficult thing to one get number, your, your specs right. right. Yeah. If you put one number or one designation wrong, you get a different fixture, and you, it's a big problem. <laughs> it's so, a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive in a little bit more to that primary tool of the trade in residential lighting design, the downlight, and talk a little bit more about how it's become increasingly complicated to get what you need out of the marketplace when it comes to manufacturing and supporting your design needs and wants. Sound good? Sounds good. Sure. Sounds great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to lighting. They tell stories about lighting, about people in lighting, projects in the lighting, products in lighting. They got this podcast, and they also have a great YouTube channel with all kinds of educational and informational content. Check them out. That's lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, we were just talking a little bit more about the field conditions of residential lighting design. We were talking about how these projects really do demand excellence on the design side. And that translates all the way down to who's installing it and who's manufacturing it. You guys talked to me a little bit more about resi lighting design, about that workhorse, those downlights and the innovation and what's working and what still needs to happen when needs to change. The adjustability on a slope ceiling, but you want to be able to aim it to the opposing wall. <laughs> That's challenge number one. <laughs> challenge, challenge number one accepted. And I have a fixture I'd used, and now they got bought by another company. And now I can't get the trimless ring to go around it because they just continued it, but the factory didn't know about it. The regional didn't know about it. People in the, nobody knew about it, but it was discontinued. And it's being drywalled in two weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess we're having a trimmed fixture <laughs> at the oh, fireplace. Wow. Yeah. So you get locked into a fixture because it's the only one that will solve the problem. And then you have a problem. <laughs> so at least it's still able to be able to illuminate uh, 10 feet. You said fixtures are there to solve problems for you. Mm. Talk to me a little bit more about how light fixtures solve problems or where those problems come from to begin with. Well, I think it's the architecture. And we were talking mm. the other day about, you know, sometimes you have 300 fixtures on a project, but you have four unique areas you know, whether it's a slab ceiling in a shower or spa, and you want all of the downlights to match. So you are choosing those 300 fixtures just on the ones that can sit, you know, fit a certain unique condition. And so, you know, sometimes wall wash, you know, you need some wall wash. Well, we want all of the LED color temperatures to match throughout all the downlights and housings in the project. So if somebody doesn't have a good wall wash, we're, the whole project is going to move over to a different manufacturer that has a good wall wash. And then we will work with that. You mentioned having everything match. There's a technology out there uh, known as, I don't know, dynamic white, tunable white, whatever you want to call it, where you can match things together. Is what I'm saying true? Can you match things or is there more that goes into a system in your experience? That is probably the most difficult thing to do right now mm -hmm. is to show up at a project where you have step lights and maybe you have track lights and a gallery space and a decorative fixture that the interior designer chose and some table lamps and 
you walk into the space and maybe the dimming levels are set differently but you can pick a color you can pick some kind of tunable white and i do think some version of tunable is where everything is going to have to go but right now just the breadth of fixtures that you can get and match the colors just isn't there across manufacturers and form factors and it's so difficult to have these little tiny pin spots and it's such a cool technology and and you know when you when you have a downlight a thousand lumen downlight that's about the diameter of the head of your pencil but maybe not the head of the pencil but the eraser <laughs> uh, but uh, you you see those those technologies but then you have other technologies where you can do circadian rhythm lighting or you have any color you want at any time and it's very dynamic but that technology doesn't fit in the really cool form factor and I do think there is going to be some convergence and we're seeing it with manufacturers right now where people are starting to go hey we have this great technology but now we need to make it look better or somebody who has a really good looking fixture now they're trying to figure out how to put more technology into that fixture and it's just a complete moving target where we specify mm -hmm. something and maybe i don't know could be two three years later they're actually buying it uh -huh. so we are constantly mm -hmm. uh i know sam earlier you were talking about just how manufacturers are com constantly evolving their product lines and it's a very dynamic thing but our specs are kind of priced at one point in time, purchased at another point in time, and we have to revisit that when there's a gap between those because things constantly evolve. And like Lana, you mentioned, things get discontinued, and nobody calls you up and says, hey, by the way, Lana, <laughs> we're discontinuing something. It's just discontinued, and you find out from the contractor. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. And talk to me a little bit more about that project life cycle in residential and the challenges that presents? Well, some of the projects last so long that you specify something now, and as Greg said, it's different. You know, in we get, you know, the submittals back and they're a different product. And you're like, wait a second. Then it's all the coordination with the rep. Did, you know, we want to match what we had originally, but things are changing so quickly and matching the color temperatures. As, as you said earlier, you don't notice something when it's perfect. Your eye is so smart that it picks up the differences. And we want to make sure that those differences don't exist. When you think about making sure those differences don't exist, do you guys have a checklist? You know, do you have, do you have, a, you have 20 things you evaluate something to make sure that it's going to hit that space? How do you make it into the good side, into the good column to even have that opportunity? Well, when you start with the project, you have to find who's in the space, who's using it. Then you go to the next step and you, like, what do you want to emphasize? Is it repetition? Is it intimacy in a double height space? You do it with layering of light. So you can f use contrast, balance, let's say I said repetition. There's different techniques that we use, but then the materials tell everything. So sometimes we don't know what the materials will be. So we do our best guess, crystal ball. <laughs> and, uh, need need that crystal ball. Mm, I need a new one. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit more about materials. I think it's it's obvious to the three of you. It might not be obvious to everyone. What happens in a residence? I mean, you talked about drywall and stone earlier. Talk about you know marble countertops that are all a million dollars pop. 
and that's taken precedence over maybe where the light's going but the answer is i want that material to look good i feel like this whole conversation is coming straight at me like a tidal wave right now it's like hey we've got a million dollar countertop that we don't want to see any dots and we want under counter light and you got to figure out how to detail it and you also only have a quarter inch because we have custom made cabinets from milan i mean i know you guys solve these problems how do you do it i think a lot with mock-ups we will get samples of all the fixtures we're going to use for the project because you can run the calculations you can use what you think you use but if you're using a new mix of of cove lighting with down lighting with whatever you really want to make sure that those work and play well together and that they dim at the same you know well together they don't just drop off or you know ghosting on the you know dimming system and you're like this doesn't dim or they say it's going to dim to one percent but their one percent is a lot more than one percent so I think mocking up is one of the things we do the most. We have samples in our sample room and we come and we mock them up and we, whether it's a textured surface or a wood surface and we're like, oh, this brings out the, the color. Oh, this doesn't, <laughs> I mean, you know, but it, you just, I think it's, and I think it's experience too. And you realize, but I'm always surprised. I am always surprised. Like I would have normally said this lens, but it, that's not doing it you know we need to change this lens we need a wider distribution or whatever it is i am a, we mock up every day i think we we're back in our storage room every day pulling samples out to mock things up to go oh yeah we can do this in three inches yeah okay you know because there's a hiccup on the job site and we can't get the size cove we want i think one of the things that we tend to run into the most is we're trying to hide lighting and we're doing a perimeter cove or we're floating a ceiling or we're doing a, a cove that lights the center of the room or we're floating a, a vanity, but we're, we're hiding lighting. And that's one of the ways we create ambient light in a space from a source you don't mm -hmm. see. And then the materials come in and we end up with a shiny slab of some kind of onyx on the wall. And because it's shiny, it's a mirror right into our hidden detail and then you see it and it ruins the effect mm -hmm. and yeah uh, so and, but if and how would you know that with spec sheets how would you know i mean you got to mock this stuff up you gotta you really have to dive into it the importance of understanding to Anne's point of what the heck it is is going in the space mm -hmm. even as a, a full-time professional sitting in, in the three of your shoes is very very difficult because no two homes are the same new no two projects are the same and lighting is uh a blessing and a curse innovating so freaking fast mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up with the joneses to an extent do you do you all sit there and look for the latest greatest newest technology all the time or are you saying like we're not gonna use something till it's been around for a year because it needs to be reliable they want the best of the best and so sometimes you have to take a risk and when you do that you just have to trust your gut also, the people that are making it, are they going to be supporting you through the process? But for instance, I did an underground basketball court, 20 foot ceilings, and they didn't want it to look like a standard basketball court. So, all right, I went through even back to Michael Jordan's basketball court. His looked like a school. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a full luminous ceiling, color changing, color tunable, 
You name it. Get out of town. I want that at my house. It's just done, and he still loves it. That sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and he still loves it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not. In, he doesn't play sports. <laughs> but it's his thing. And he um, now they have private lessons with coaches, and it's just so cool. <laughs> that's that's. Anybody want to top that story? <laughs> well, Sorry. that's the one thing you can never do is play one up with residential lighting designers. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you think you've got something crazy, talk to Lana, she's got something crazier. Talk yeah. to Ann, she's got something twice as crazy. But <laughs> it, it's, I think that's what keeps it so interesting that, you know, I, I don't even know how many homes I've designed over the years, but I still see something that I've never seen before mm -hmm. when, when uh, you come into a project and those are the spaces that are fun because you, you it's a challenge to innovate and mm -hmm. uh, and we are designers and as designers we have to use new things you know otherwise we're just you know we're, no. we're, we're being the same thing over and over and over again yeah and people aren't hiring us to stamp something out they're hiring us to design something well I tell you what this has been an amazing conversation I want to continue this conversation in part two of this series where we talk a little bit more about how the three of you, without even trying to one-up each other for 20 plus years and all the unique projects you've had, and also talk a little bit more about the end of most projects are actually only the beginning for, for you all. And we're talking about the construction documents. We're talking about making things become reality. Uh, residential lighting design takes two years to design and five years to build. Commercial projects take two years to design and five weeks to build, so to speak. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but there's a lot there. Does that sound good to the three of you? Sounds, sounds great, great Santa. That's awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Light Pod. Make sure you tune in for part two, when we catch up with Greg, Lana, and Anne a little bit more about the crazy world of residential lighting design. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm.